<laughs> All right, Mark, we are live. Hello. Hey, look, Bill's back. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host. Uh, my co-host is back from his... It seemed like he's been gone for a month. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host. Uh, he's out Mark, there. you your phone on? No. He's uh he caught a he caught a shark while he was away. He, <laughs> big, game, he big game. It was a I'm told it was a real shark. It, it was like uh, two feet long. <laughs> it's he's still pretty pale though. I, uh, well, yeah. Well, that's my Irish skin. Actually, I'm pretty red. You know, but he's well, back I, I was in the sun for like ten hours on uh, on Saturday. They I have one of those things where they have the uh, sandbar. And there's like hundreds of boats by the sandbar, and everyone has different stereos on. The girls are dancing in thongs and stuff. I'm like, oh my god, uh -huh. this is horrible. <laughs> no thong for Bill, though, right? You didn't have a thong this on. Is terrible. I couldn't even look. My wife was in the boat. You know, I had to pretend <laughs> I was. Uh, I didn't have any sunglasses either to disguise it. You know. Hey, I tell you, man. Uh, everybody missed you. Everybody uh -huh. missed you while you were away. People were commenting. Um, nobody missed you more than me, though. <laughs> Man, it was a lot of work. <laughs> I told him that he didn't realize how much work it is after we go off the air. You know? No, yeah, yeah, but but also too while we were while we were going, I I I managed to get some videos up. I I learned a couple of things along the way. It took me a long time to figure out how to get YouTube uh, on there, but uh, and I had to pick. So uh, we did good, and uh, we we held it together while you were gone. And you know what? Listen. We have a show tonight, and it's so great. Bill is back, but the reason why it's so great is because of our guest tonight. Um, he's an amazing man. That's all I can say. He's a retired NYPD detective, and he's um, he's a kidney donor. He donated his kidney to a complete stranger. Uh, so let's. He's going to tell us all about it tonight. Uh, so let's welcome Michael, aka Saint. <laughs> Lolo, what's up, Michael Lolo? What's going on? How you doing, Mark and Bill? Mike, is your name pronounced Lolo or Lalo? It's pronounced uh, Lalo, but when I went on my honeymoon in Italy, everyone says uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lolo. So I guess, Lolo. Uh, Lolo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a it's pronounced Lalo, like Lalo. Lolo. That's what I yeah, yeah I, that's the Irish pronunciation, Lolo. <laughs> and my wife is Irish, so they, 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 my wife is Irish, and we were going around Italy, and they go, Mrs. Lolo, Mrs. Lolo, come over here. You know? yeah. Is your wife Italian? Irish, Irish. Oh, she's Irish. Oh, okay. Yeah, maiden wow. name, made name is O'Keefe. Wow. They say Irish and Italians make beautiful babies, though, you know? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. We have, we, have, we have three beautiful kids. Well, that's great. That's a great thing, man. You know, so how about your police career? I see... You, you worked in real-time crime, right? I was all over the place. I, you know, I, to always, I was in Manhattan North Homicide Squad. I would call real-time crime, and they would let it go to the answering machine. No, and no. That, I, I worked, would freak out. I swear, no, I would no, no. freak out on the street, and I would call another number and start screaming at them. And my friend Brian Parr and Chris Stolle, they yeah. were bosses there. Yeah, and the, and the the guy the detective would go. This sergeant is crazy. He needs anger management classes, you know. And, and they would say, "Take it easy." I'd be like, 
They would ask for like a 49 while I was on the street. Oh, you got to give us a 49 to get that done or to get this done. I'm screaming at them. <laughs> now, I worked, I worked on the juvenile side. So I did, uh, well, anyone that made a juvenile arrest called uh, the section that it's, you know, the same big room, but there were like a bunch of desks off to the side and we were the juvenile crime desk. So I didn't, I didn't deal with the uh, detectives who were doing the, uh, the stops and looking for checks. Anyone that, um, it was pretty cool. Anyone that like arrested a juvenile, We'll call this, you know, 800 number. I said it was probably one of the best things a job ever did. They were proactive. You know how hard it is wow. to arrest arrest a juvenile. Yeah, right? I had to do that a few yeah. times. Yeah, and it, it was it was just to help cops. You know, it's funny. Is a lot of people that I worked with in warrants. Once they uh, they got rid of like uh, they just dis they didn't disband it, but they broke warrants down. Um, we a lot of us went to squads, and <laughs> that was like that was a hard that was like taking a cold shower. I'll tell you that. <laughs> But some of the people got uh, they they escaped from the squads and they wound up in um, in real time crime. Yeah, so I got a lot of people over there. Yeah, so it was, I could always call up and just ask for so and so, and they would do it. They had a really nice setup. Uh, I remember, like you know, when you think about uh, the way they film police in the movies, you know, that was the real deal down there. When they created that, there was TV screens. Up oh yeah, everywhere. news running all the time. There was these yeah. things there and. Detectives sitting at the at their phone waiting. It was exactly like uh, that. Remember that show, um, Most America's Most Wanted, where they take you to that crime center. It was like that, except ten times bigger. Yeah, it was. It was probably one of the, I think, the first of its kind. It was very, very modern. I mean, they spent you know millions of dollars on these huge TV screen walls, and everybody had the double monitors, and it was, it was, it was pretty cool. It was, it was you know, awesome. Mike, I always thought though, like from the street. And from the squad, like the detectives should have just been able to have access of course. to those programs themselves. Like everything with the police department is corruption. Oh, if this if we let him if we let a squad detective have access to this, he's gonna start his own PI firm on duty, you know? It, 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 I never could understand it because the way I judged it was you you uh trusted me to carry a gun. And you know, right. God forbid, right? I could you could do terrible things with that gun, but you won't trust me with access to this database. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I, I know. never understood it. It was crazy. Stuff you could have got privately too, though, because I, I remember chipping in and we'd all share the same code for uh, whatever it was, Lexus, Nexus or something like that. Just so we had, we had it ourselves, whatever the price was. No, but that one program, uh, Faces of the Nation, Accurate, that got you information that was unbelievable. Yeah, Clear, yeah. I think was another one, something like that it was called. It was, it was good stuff, but you know there was a you know a sergeant from the NYPD actually wrote the program uh, it, it to you know they, right the NYPD had all these different you know two uh, fifties accident reports nine one one calls all these computer systems none of them spoke to each other and this guy wrote a program that could take all the information and bring it to one spot and that's what was in well, our that, yeah, that was that was the weakness of our computer programs is that nothing was connected. No. If you want to find out if the guy was a gang member, you needed a gang code. If you right. want to find out if he was a narcotics recidivist, you needed a nitro code. Right. Where everything was nothing was connected. No. That's no. why I always said that's the that's what made us the best detectives. It wasn't that we were any smarter or, or better at detecting. It was just the equipment that we were using was so far, it was so prehistoric compared to like we went <laughs> to the FBI. You know, we went up to the FBI. You should have seen their office, by the way. May they rest in peace in the World Trade Center there. They, they had this, uh, like, it looked like you were going to the White House, this carpet. As soon as you walk in, there's a receptionist. I'm like, well, where are we right now? And, you know, some guy came out in the suit and greeted us, brought us in, asked us if we wanted coffee. 
But they had uh, as soon as you put in the name, you got everything on that one on that person. Just That's all right. you had to do was put in the name or the date of birth, whatever you had. You got everything on that person. I came I on. Remember a- there was a there was like a a month period in the two three squad that we had no cars, zero. We were walking to jobs or getting patrolled to drive us. Yeah. <laughs> it was like pathetic. We're like we have no cars, zero cars. That's crazy. <laughs> I came on in '99, and and you know I don't I don't think that I'm all that old. And every single car had the old school mobile digital terminal with the green screen and the big buttons, you know. And it was like a red button that said like you know help or something like that. I remember asking the guy, you know, when I first got there, I'm like, well, what do I do if I press? Like, what happens if I press this button? The guy goes, nothing. It's not connected to anything. Uh-huh. You know, it was like we had. It, it's, it's, That's what we used to place our coffee on. Oh yeah, there was a lot of coffee spills on that. Yeah, yeah, that 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 computer in the car, like in the GLA auto, the thing was so big, like <laughs> even the perps they saw, they go, "Oh, that's the computer car," you know. <laughs> yeah, I, knew how to, I remember. I I I I knew how to do it, work that computer. Like we were looking for five elevens. That's a you know, or um, you know, just the people on warrants, you pull them over. Yeah, and he run late, and uh, I remember knowing the codes and how to get in there. I couldn't, I probably couldn't. Maybe I could do it now if I if I sat down in front of it. Nah, it's all gone now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't even know what they. Oh, now they're using laptops in the. What do they? What do they have in the car now? But they have yeah, the phone. They're, right? they're like they have they have the tough books, so they're like laptop. But then everyone's got yeah the iPhone. They have all the apps on there now, which is great. So you want to run someone's plate, or you want to run someone's name. Uh, you know, you could just you know, over registration, driver's license, all right there. So that's a department phone. Department phone, yeah, they're all iPhones, yeah. Yeah, they have, they can even uh, get a, a wanted photo of a guy. Yeah, pull up a guy's photo, see if he's wanted, or they can probably they can produce a photo array right in the field, right? That I don't know, but it's definitely the most uh, technologically uh, savvy, you know, device that they ever gave us was the iPhone with all these apps on it. So I think now, yeah, like cops have a lot, yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's good. The last time I got a department phone. I charged up a $180 bill. Sergeant, the ICO calls me in. Who's Margarita in Dominican Republic? <laughs> so, She's wanted for a serious crime. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't me. It was my, my old partner, Bobby. But he racked up some freaking, uh, he racked up some charge on the department cell phone. Yeah. And it was all, all the g- girls that he was dating from all over. And that's all he would do. He would talk to them for hours on the phone. When I was when I was in the one ten, you know the, the the big mobile digital terminal, like you said, it was blocking the um, the cigarette lighter, and I want I needed to plug something in the cigarette lighter, so I pulled it like really hard. I pulled it forward, and like it started to like spark and like some you know like I said, like, oh shoot, uh, but I plugged the thing you in. Could have the I, cigarette I, off the sparks. <laughs> I said I said to my partner, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like we're not telling no one. He goes, no no no. He goes, I'm writing this down in my book. He goes that it was damaged when we got here, and you know da 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 da. da. I said, oh, okay, whatever. So we go out, and uh, the next day, uh, the ICO 10 twos us to the command, and he says, you know, you know, Lalo and my partner, he goes, uh, come to the command with your memo books. We come in there, and he goes, he has the mobile digital terminal um, in his hand, and he goes, you guys want to explain this? And I said, uh, my partner goes, oh, you know, boss, it was broken when we got in the car. He goes, really? Because the guys that got in the car said it was broken when they got in there. He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, look, I have it right here in my memo book. It says it was broken. And the ICO goes, unbelievable. 
He goes, that's like $5,000. He goes, if he didn't have that in that Melbourne book, he goes, you guys would have been docked five grand. He goes, for that thing. Yeah, good so, luck trying that. <laughs> <laughs> that, guy's a, that guy's a genius. I like that guy. Yeah. I would, I would like yeah. Him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he's like, you see, I goes, I told you I should have taken notes. I'm like, nah. I said, nah, no one's gonna. Who's gonna care? No one's gonna care about this. Uh -huh. How'd yeah, you yeah. like working in the 110? I loved it. I loved oh, it. Man, I lived in the 110. Yeah, yeah. Well, awesome. that the land of plentiful. I was in the Queen's Task Force. Oh, okay. What we yeah. do the 110, 115, man. Uh, well, the one, the one ten, you know, Roosevelt Avenue. We would take or tell everybody that was on our side to just go across the street and do whatever they were doing over there. Uh -huh. So this way, you know, because that, yeah, yeah. that was the one fifteen's problem. But uh, it was great. I lived in Bayside at the time, so uh, it was like a twelve minute commute. Um, I I loved it. The food is great. You know, if you, you love Spanish food, uh, you got Parkside yeah, right over there. Had, had that um. That lounge you guys had, I, w I was in Dewey, but when you came out in '99, I came out in '92, so I don't know if they fixed it up. But that freaking, you'd go downstairs if you made a collar, and it was a Dewey. You would you would bring your guy to send your book and go back to do the paperwork. Then you'd go downstairs and you'd have to find a place to sleep because you had to wait for a ride to bring you back. And it was so dark in there, and you used to have to feel the couches to see if there was a body on there because there was a TV on way off in the distance. Yep. Who knows what these couches look like? Who knows? Well, I never seen that room in daylight, and I never want to. But it's the same it way. It was the same day in '99. I would take off my vest. I would put it at the take off my and then I'd sleep in there until that my ride came and woke me up. But man, that room was so gross. <laughs> it was, did it, Did you ever see in the daylight? Who knows what was going? No, on? no. There's no lights. Never put. They never put a light on. No, and you're right. There was like a chair, I think, and there was like some kind of couple of couches, but you never knew what it looked like. But just like you said, people were always asleep. You know, it was. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. You used to feel around for the. Okay, sorry, sorry. And then you just go, <laughs> and you, it was just like two rows of couches against the wall. And I spent a lot of nights. One night we had um, they locked up these heishis, right? Well, I don't know how you call them transgenders. Transgender. They were on. Um, they were. Yeah, well, that was so politically incorrect. We may get like. You know, people may try to cancel us. <laughs> now you just lost. Yeah, you lost a couple of viewers. That's what they, back you then. That used viewers. To <laughs> you know, that was the preferred term back then. He, she. Oh, I remember that was but that was the term. Yeah. So there was there was a spot over there, and they used to call him once a month, whenever. And they brought him in, and they're all in the cell. And when you get there, and I got my I got my Dewey collar, which is a drunk. I was in a drunk driving unit. I was brand new, and you know, I'm walking by. I'm young. I'm in shape. And you see them all, they come to the, the thing like, Mira, papi. You know, that, you know, they all call me. There's like eight of them in there, you know. And, they do, and they're all done up, man. You know, makeup and 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 the wigs and the really hot clothes. But they're men. We, and then you go past that same cell like three at four hours later, maybe like four o'clock in the morning. They're like, agua, agua. <laughs> it's 95 degrees in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweating, the makeup's dripping off. They took the wig off. The man feet are hanging out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like, oh. When, when I got there in 2000, I went on in 99, uh, there was an old Italian lieutenant. Giamuso was his name. The typical, he smoked a cigar, had the white socks, the whole nine yards. And, you know, he, he had us at roll call when we first got there. And he said something I, which I thought was great. And when I, I, I taught in the police academy for a while, and I would tell the recruits the same thing. He came in there and he goes, listen, he goes, this is a hardworking neighborhood. You have a very you know heavy Hispanic community here. The police in their countries aren't always ha you know uh, good to them. He goes, so when they see you, he goes, they're very happy. And he says, 
if they offer you a free cup of coffee, I have no problem with that. And all of our faces are like, what? He goes, and if they offer you a free bottle of water, he goes, I have no problem with that. He goes, you know what I have a problem with? When you walk into that deli and you expect the coffee and you expect the water and you just reach into that, uh, that refrigerator, grab it and walk out. He goes, that's when it's wrong. I was like, oh, all right, now I understand how this works. So really, <laughs> yeah. Only, only yeah. big bosses are allowed to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a, I thought it was a good, it was, you know, like if someone offers you a, a, a bottle of water, it's not like a, you know. Yeah, time, I, hear, you know? I, I, I totally get what you're saying, and it's 100% on point. And, but the truth is, you know, a lot of those places had Joker Pokers machines back there at the time. Oh, and yeah. Google, and, um they, there was a lot of stuff going on. That's why they call it the land of plentiful. Whatever you were into, no matter how sick it is, you could find it on Roosevelt Avenue. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If yeah. you wanted to go with a, a guy that was dressed as a woman, uh, if you wanted regular prostitutes, if you wanted drugs, yep. whatever drugs you did, it just everything moved on Roosevelt Avenue. Yeah, guns, you knives. Know and a lot of these people, they were kind of sort of inadvertently involved in it in a way. So when yeah. you come in, they were like, hey, what do you want? You want this? You want to <laughs> throwing stuff at you? Yeah, take some cigarettes. Well, <laughs> <Just> get out. <laughs> my, my uncle was on the job, and uh, he did 36 years. And the advice he gave me, uh, some of it I took, <laughs> most of it I took, and he goes, always carry singles. I said, why? He goes, because you know people are going to offer you stuff. You're going to go to a pizza place, and and the guy's going to go, no, 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 no. It's 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 on me. And you know there's going to be people standing behind you. He goes, you could throw two, three dollars down on the on the counter, and you don't have to like worry about you know people saying, oh, that guy didn't pay for something. So wow. you know he always always carried like small bills. Yeah, there was a whole thing with the eating man. <laughs> well, you know what it was after after nine eleven. I don't think IAB knew what to do anymore because you know everyone was bringing food to the precincts. Uh, we got free food from the Red Cross, everything, you know. So IAB yeah. was like freaking out, like, what do we do now, Chief? What what kind of cheese should we serve now, you know? <laughs> well, we worked there, um, like, some. Pl I remember, like, everybody had a place to eat, and, like, nobody wanted to tell you uh, where they were eating. I remember being the third wheel in a car. And uh, so where do you want to go, kid? What, what are you going to have for dinner? So then they took me to wherever I wanted to get my dinner. And then they parked like two blocks away from wherever they were going. They were like, oh, we'll be right back. We're going to go get our food now. And they just <laughs> – so this way I, can, I couldn't see where they were going. Yeah, yeah. Wherever they were going, it was good for them, but they didn't want to, like, they didn't want to overwhelm the uh... – and I could see like you were – if the 110, the 115, and then you got the Queens Task Force all in that same neighborhood and all like uh... – you know what I'm saying? is. It was factory over there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bread factory. We used to go to that bread factory, like, ah, oh, man, one o'clock in the morning, like right after they made the fresh loaves and, you know, they come out and they give you a couple of loaves and yeah. you take that home, man. It, there's not, remember the smell. Oh it's, yeah. It's amazing. In the neighborhood when, when the, when the bread was cooking. Yeah. The yeah, whole neighborhood built would smell so good because the bread was cooking from that factory, man. I never forget yep. that. It was great. It was great. I went. I went from the one ten to the police academy to uh, to be an instructor, and uh, I stayed there for like um, I think two thousand two to two thousand seven, like five years. I was in the police academy. I was pretty. I remember, it was pretty good. I remember having a foot post there on Roosevelt Avenue. A lot of foot posts. I was in the task force. It was all the guys from Shea would come back, and there was no cars. And uh, I went into the movie theater over there. 
and I sat there and I had the radio on. And I always tell people that listen to the radio too loud. I'm like, yo, if you can, if you can, if it should be low enough that you could play it in a movie theater. <laughs> and you just like put it up to your ear. Okay, that's yeah, not that's not me. Yeah. All you were waiting for is when they call you out for a scratch. <laughs> tend to, I'll be right there. <laughs> that's the old school. Make make sure your shield is cold, right? You got to make sure it's cold. So when the boss comes, the old right, old the old. Uh, uh, yeah, the old wife said, "Was like, oh, like the other boss comes. Let me feel your shield." And it's yeah, like, wait, it's warm, you know. Keep it in your beer. In your beer <laughs> you just have to make sure you fed the lieutenant on the desk. Feed yeah. the dog. They stay. Make sure you feed the dog. <laughs> <laughs> man, at one time was great. Man, it was nothing like it. We had so many good times over there. It was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. I think, Mark. I think I'm going to go to a quick little uh, commercial here. And then I'll I'll beat you to the folks. If you're looking to relocate to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Carol Waters of the Beach Realty Group has been buying and selling property in the Myrtle Beach area for 11 years now. Carol and her husband Rob Mayen, retired FDNY firefighter, he was also a rollover from the NYPD. They work as a team. Carol's been a multi-million-dollar producer for the past 10 years. They have great knowledge of all aspects of the real estate industry. Carol is well-known around the Irish community in New York. She worked in Fitzpatrick's Manhattan Hotel for over 20 years behind the stick. That's a bartender for you non-drinkers. Originally born in the Bronx and brought up in County Mayo, Ireland. Contact Carol Waters for all your real estate needs in the Myrtle Beach area. As you can see, there's the email. MB at gmail.com. And that's the Beach Realty Group. Telephone number is 914-261-6681. And they'll lower your taxes just by crossing that New York, New York State border. <laughs> that was good. That was a good read. <laughs> what about we give a shout-out to the people that tuned in tonight so far? This is a good episode. I'm having a we lot. We got a lot of uh, people on the, uh, the Joy Catcher. Thank you. She says, our aunt lives in Calabash, North Carolina, right next to Myrtle Beach. I spent my summers there. 12-step woman, thank you for the 499 Super Chat. Juan Valdez, I love your name. It sounds like you're an insurrectionist. ACP 1778, yeah, I'm stuck in the Bronx, command. Uh, cheated no more, that's a great little tag. Oscar Ferrafino, good to see you, buddy. The joy catchers all over this. Mimi uh, J2. Pam Leone's on. I didn't see Pam. She's here. Kathy, nice Chief nice. Kathy Ryan listens to us. See, we even get people of all ranks. She's, a retired, she's an overachiever, retired chief with a law degree and at least two or three dogs. <laughs> uh, the Joy Catcher, MC's Audio, this future superstar of podcasting. Hello, guys. Welcome back, Bill, from vacation. Mark needs you. <laughs> She didn't know more. The Pranzos, Lieutenant Pete and Richella, they're always here. They're our biggest and bestest fans, right? Scotty Wagner, Ryan Investigation, Keyshawn Hickman. Oh, my God. Do you know he says, Mike, you were his academy instructor? What's the name? Keyshawn Hickman. He's a lieutenant now. He's Hickman. a professor yes. of Rockland Community That is College. true. That is true. One of my Look best that, students. Man. You taught him so well, he became a lieutenant, and now he's a professor. <laughs> but I, I couldn't pass a test myself. I ended up as a, <laughs> as a detective. Uh, Christian Chappelle, uh, former 110 guy, great dude, he says. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. That's great. Sandra Rivera, Tim Acosta, uh, Melody McAtee, and Michael Lalo. You were in the chat. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> I did, you, yeah. You chatting it up, trying to get these people uh, all riled up, you know? That's it. I'm trying to get kidneys yeah. from everybody. But uh, so at this point, do you want to go to what the meat and potatoes of this episode is, Mark? Yeah, man. Why not? Listen, that's we introduced you that way. Um, you got some story. I'll tell you. Uh, we're going to let you tell it. But basically, you were you still on the job at this point? Oh, yeah. And you were driving by a billboard. Uh, so it, the way it started was back in like April of 2018, uh, the NYPD intranet, uh, something popped up while I was sitting at my desk. And it was for Officer Tommy Alexander from the Harbor Unit and said, you know, Tommy's in need of a kidney. If you're looking to, you know, if you're willing to donate, you know, contact this number. Uh, so I called my wife and I'm like, you know, this guy needs a kidney. You know, they're asking for people to like, you know, be tested. She's like, go for it, you know. So I called up the number. And unfortunately, because Tommy's part of the major story, which I'll, I'll get to a little bit later. But unfortunately, he was at, uh, now we know, a really bad transplant center. And I wasn't the only one, but they actually dropped the ball. And uh, I, I spoke to someone there. They never called me back. So I just assumed, you know, that my question, you know, my answers to their questions, you know, weren't satisfactory. And that was that. Um, so then fast forward to September. Uh, so the thing is that wherever he was trying to get his kidney, they weren't operating in a no. good manner. They were, they were, they fucked up. They fucked up, and it wasn't just me. Uh, some someone else, uh, someone else that I know, I spoke to. The same exact thing happened. They, the exact same time that I called, roughly around the same time, uh, saw the posting, and the exact same thing happened to them. So, uh, so Tommy for a long time. Uh, you know, was waiting for a kidney, you know, waiting for someone to come forward. And uh, it just didn't happen, uh, unfortunately. But uh, after I ended up donating my kidney, I got more involved in this. And then we ended up moving Tommy to uh, getting him transferred to a better hospital, which uh, I, I can get to in a little bit. Um, but then about August, the New York Post, I was sitting at my desk again, <laughs> and I was looking at the New York Post. And there was an article about this guy named uh, Mark Weiner, who had a billboard donated to him in Times Square, and it was just a, a billboard with his, uh, you know, face, and he said, "Hi, my," and said, "Hi, my name is Mark. I need a kidney," and you know, it was just, I don't know anyone who ever donated. I don't know uh, anyone that was on dialysis. None of, no one in my family has, you know, kidney disease. Um, I joke around, but not really. I didn't even know what kidneys actually did. I just uh, know my dad used to tell me, you know, if you get punched in the kidneys too many times, you could like pee blood. That's about what all I, that's about all I knew about kidneys. <laughs> and uh, so two, you know, I was like, wow, twice in one year. So let me look into this. So I clicked on the link and, you know, I answered a bunch of questions and I waited for a result. And that's kind of like where I started doing my my research. And I just started Googling, you know, living kidney donation, uh, you know, reading people's blogs. I watched, uh, you know, like the, like the, like YouTube that you're on now. Uh, I found a lot of donors who um, were willing you know, to, to tell their story. And I got to speak to a bunch of them. So I learned through the process that, you know, you could basically give your kidney to anybody. It's called a non-directed donation or an altruistic donor. Uh, so then Cornell gave me a call and at, at the time, another issue that happened, uh, Mark was, was at Wild Cornell. Uh, he, you know, he's still a patient there. That's an, an, a great end to the story coming up. And, uh, they uh, said I wasn't a match for Mark. And I said, Oh, 
but I, I, I read about this non-directed donation. You know, can I, can I do that? And they said, uh, the woman actually hesitated. And she went, uh, yeah, that's somebody else that has to talk to you about that. And the very next day I got a call from my transplant coordinator and, and started the process. So that was uh, in September. So uh, I, started, I started the process in September and I ended up ultimately donating my kidney on December 12th, excuse me, December 19th of the same year. So not that not too many not too many months later. I tell you that takes that takes a lot of courage. I I, I wouldn't uh, I I wouldn't have the courage to do that. I do a lot of things. I mean, I would give money and all that stuff, but I don't know. I don't think I could donate an organ. I just maybe you know maybe when I'm dead. But you know, you know, uh, but, you know, Bill. What happens? You know, they won't want my organs. <laughs> Michael, yeah, Michael, would you um, consider donating a liver? So it's funny you say that. Um, there are three. As he pours another drink, that was that was a joke. You missed the punchline. Well, oh, I, I, well, you know, it's because there are, believe it or not, there's a little bit of a trend of double don't double organ donors because you could oh, donate God. your kidney while you're alive, you could donate a portion of your liver while you're alive, and you can actually donate a portion of your lung while you're alive. So um, there are. A lot, uh, not a lot, but there are a few double donors out there. So uh, the thought did cross my mind, believe it or not. <laughs> but uh, does, a, does a, a part of a lung regenerate? I know the liver does. The liver does. Liver no, I think, but I think someone who has like lung disease, they take a, a lobe of your lung and they transplant it in. And uh, I, 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 I haven't done too much research on the lung uh, donation, but uh, kidneys the easiest of them all. So that's why we're trying to. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I appreciate you guys doing this. I, I don't know if you guys knew that April is Organ Donation Awareness Month, so it's extremely apropos that uh, uh, you guys, um, you know, asked me to come on to speak. And you're showing, uh, you know, slides right now, the National uh, National Kidney Month uh, from the National Kidney Registry. They're the organization that actually facilitated my kidney um, donation. So um, what happens is, there's a the the president CEO Garrett Hill uh, created this amazing organization called the National Kidney Registry NKR. There's about a hundred hospitals throughout the, the United States that are affiliated, and what they do is they match people. It's called a paired exchange. So we'll take my case for for example, my recipient who I now know is uh, her name is Ruth, but I didn't know at the time. She needed a kidney. Her husband Paul uh, was not a match for Ruth. So in order to get into the National Kidney Registry, you have to have a partner. So people who need a kidney can't just jump in. You gotta have someone willing to donate on your behalf. So Paul basically said, I'm willing to donate to a stranger if someone will donate to my wife. So I ended up being that somebody. So you create a, a kidney chain. So my kidney went to Ruth and Ruth's husband's kidney went to a stranger. I, uh, to my knowledge, Paul hasn't uh, met his, uh, there's Ruth. Yeah, there's Ruth now. Um, that was amazing. We got to meet for the first time on, uh, uh, at City Field. So yeah, the only problem was that you met her at a Met game. Well, yeah, listen, <laughs> the, the, the Mets are, believe it or not, are a little more philanthropic, philanthropic than, uh, than the Yankees were, but that's all right. Well, Ruth was a, uh, a huge Mets fan and, um, and mine. <laughs> so when that doesn't mean you got to give him give him your seven, kidney. Though, it was you know? seventy four, by the way, uh, Mister Five and Ten with no future. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually more of a. I, I didn't tell the Mets this, but I'm actually more of a Yankee fan than I am a Mets fan. But um, it was all about you know it was all about roots. So 
after I donated, I, you know, uh, I'm like, wow, this went really well. Like, what else can I do? I can't donate any more kidneys because I need the one that I got. So I, I, you know, I like to talk. I got a big mouth, some people will say. So I, um, I joined an organization which uh, is now called the National Kidney Donation Organization. It used to be called Donor to Donor. And uh, it was founded by my, I call him my kidney mentor, uh, Ned Brooks. And uh, what we do is we mentor uh people who are thinking about uh, potentially donating their kidneys. We also help, you know, recipients potentially uh, find donors. Anyway, I joined the organization and I had no uh, footprint whatsoever on social media uh, because of my job and my, my wife's job. We just, we didn't do it. So I said, if you want to reach people, you got to, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all that stuff. So they actually started my page for me and created the uh, Facebook page. And, um, I'm sitting uh, in, in bed with my wife and all of a sudden I got a friend request and you know, you, you look to see their profile and I scroll up and it was from a woman and she posted one of the New York post stories that covered uh, the story throughout my donation process. And she didn't say anything. She just asked to be friends. So I told my wife, I said, I think this is my recipient. I think my recipient just friended me because she had my po New York post article and it said, um, you know, to my second hero, Detective Mike Lalo, who gave me his kidney, something along those lines. And, you know, um, and my first hero, you know, my husband, Paul, who donated so I can get Mike's kidney. So I said to my wife, oh, my gosh, like, what do I do? She's like, well, you've been waiting for this moment. Like, you know, you, you know respond back. So I responded back with just this, this is all I wrote. Hey, I think you have my left kidney send. <laughs> and Mark, she, after she received your kidney, did she start eating a lot more like pasta and uh, gourd and all that stuff or what? I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to have to ask her about that. I haven't, I haven't asked her about her for her food intake, but uh, she does say Maron a lot. She's like, Maron, Maron. Maron. <laughs> um, so we ended up, you know, speaking via, you know, messaging and then uh, text messaging. Where does she live? She lives in uh, Ambridge, Pennsylvania. And she donated. She received the kidney at Walter Reed because her husband's a hey, veteran. Tell us, how, tell us how this works. Yes. Okay. So what happens? You get you you you're in. You got a somebody's. You're a match. What happens after that? So for people like me who are non-directed donors, <clears throat> you pick a hospital that's affiliated with the. Uh, you know, I, I happen to be at one that was with the National Kidney Registry, and uh, you go through all this testing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So one of the, the funny stories is one of the tests is a 24-hour urine collection. And I, I planned it so I would start to pee on Sunday. And then on my way home from work, I would bring the jug to the Quest Diagnostics. So I had to bring the urine in the jug and keep it refrigerated at work. And continue to pee and continue to pee. So I joke around that I spent the whole day with all these detectives and no one knew that I was taking a, a urine filled jug out of the refrigerator, going to the bathroom, peeing in it, and then putting it back in the refrigerator. <laughs> you, mean you didn't put a skull and crossbones on the urine in the bottle? No, nobody yeah, nobody, nobody, nobody about touched it. Imagine that fucking squad that took the swig out of your piss. Oh my god. <laughs> When they found out about it afterwards, there were a lot of like little somebody fishing like down and, and, and you know, <laughs> tasting somebody else's lunch. Uh, you not drink, Abby normal. <laughs> you go, you put five raviolis in the, in the fridge. You come back, there's only three left. Yeah, but the jug of the jug of piss they didn't bother with. Um, so you you do you you have to do that. Then you do all day of testing. They they make you know psychologists. Um, a nephrologist, a social worker to make sure you're doing the kidney donation for the right reasons, uh, and then 
if all that comes back good, they say, hey, you're cleared to donate. You're ready to go. I'm like, uh, sure. Well, they ask, what month do you want to donate? And, you know, because maybe you're a school teacher and the summer is better, you know, uh, they kind of actually work around your schedule, if, if you could believe that. So I picked December. I asked my wife and she's like, I think December would be the best time. And um, they put all this into the National Kitty Registry it has this massive computer with all these algorithms and all the other recipients and donors are in their computer with the dates that they could donate and their blood type. And the computer figures everything out and it pops out. It popped in my case, it popped out. Ruth was a, a match, which was unique about Ruth is Ruth and I uh, both have um, A2 type blood, which is a little bit rarer, not the rarest, but it's a little bit rarer. And then Ruth also is highly or was highly sensitized, which means even someone of her own blood type, her body would typically reject the kidney. Uh, so they do a, a test called a cross match. So they put my blood, Ruth's blood into a little uh, petri dish and they see if her blood attacks uh, my blood. It didn't. And that's how they know that my kidney will, you know, will be sustainable in roof. So uh, we picked um, uh, we picked December. They called me and they gave me a date. Uh, the first date got uh, derailed. It was um, December 4th because Ruth got sick. So we couldn't donate. But the bad part about that was I was already in Manhattan and I already took the medicine to make you uh go to the bathroom because they want you cleaned out, you know, beforehand. So I did all this and at nine o'clock at night, they tell me that, uh, you know, the surgery is canceled. So uh, I had to wait until the 19th of December. Uh, the surgery is about two hours. Um, you know, the recovery in the hospital is two days. Uh, about yeah, two days in the hospital. I was there yeah, on a open, what? right. They get, they cut you open. No, it's great. If I had abs, I would show everybody, but I won't uh, subject anyone to that. Uh, it's laparoscopic, so they make a small, <laughs> a small incision, uh, slightly above the belly button and slightly below. Cornell is a hospital that uh, you know perfected. The uh, I mean, a lot of hospitals do it, but Cornell really takes care in trying to make. Uh, uh, the donor not have any kind of scarring or anything. So all you see is like a tiny dot above the belly button, tiny dot below. Sometimes they have to go in on the sides with, uh, you know, tools. They have to like do a little incision, but they didn't have to in my case. So everything went through the belly button. So I, I still have my... Uh, what did you know, do? Did you just suck it out? What'd you say? They kind of sort of suck it out and clip it? Yeah, they so they, I mean, I don't know what, exactly what they do in there, but they, they detach it. Uh, they, you know, tie off whatever loose ends they got to tie off in there and they take it out through uh, the belly button. And what the National Kidney Registry does is they arrange for all the transportation. So if it's under a certain amount of miles, they'll drive it. So mine went to, you know, uh, Walter Reed in Maryland. Uh, I actually met the guy before um, I went under. Guy's standing there ready with a cooler and uh, they, they, they prep the kidney. They stick it in the cooler. Uh, Cornell was was um, was great. They uh, they told me that I could write a, a note uh, to my recipient. So they put the kidney in. They stuck the note on top of the on top of the kidney in the cooler, and he drives it to Walter Reed. So the surgery was like uh, five thirty in the morning, and I think it ended up being in you know place in Ruth by you know two thirty three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, Mike, I always tried to pull over uh, donor vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> I got that impression, Bill. I got that. Are you real hard? One of those real. No, he brings up a good point. Guys. How long? Like the guy gets a flat or whatever. How long has he got in the cooler? It, it, it's he's got a while. It's got. I asked that question, and they said it actually, uh, if under the right conditions, could last like twenty four hours. But uh, yeah. if it's a uh, if it's something that has to go, and it's all you know, there's a. Uh, tracking devices in with the kidney so uh, the national kidney registry knows exactly where it is at all times uh, if it has to go on a plane 
depend if it if it has to go from one plane to another, they actually send someone on the plane with it. Um, it's called the uh, I think it's called uh, if it goes on a plane, the pilots actually it's like a big deal because you get to 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 the front of the line. It's called like an archangel flight or an I think it's called an archangel flight uh, when you have an organ on the plane. So you skip the line like as if you were the president. And you get to take off, and it's like a notch in like the captain's belt that uh, that he had, like a uh, you know a, uh, an organ on the on the plane. It's pretty cool. That's yeah. an amazing yeah. thing, man. Amazing. Yeah. Mark, you just uh, do your thing. Hey, what's up, everybody, uh, guys and gals? You know that we are represented by uh, sponsored by the best hot sauce in the world, Silk City Hot Sauce. They have many different flavors. Locally grown peppers are the foundation of every bottle. Um, check it out on SilkCityHotSauce.com. Put in the coupon code OTC for off the cuff, and you'll get a 15% discount. You can choose from Bobby's Big Chipotle, Aztec Attack, Badass Jew, Slurp, Mango Madness, Climate Change, Maple Dragon, Killer Hot, and Ghost Whisperer. And it's got really fancy artwork. There's a lot going into this stuff. Uh, all locally grown ingredients, pure ingredients, and... Uh, Check it out, SilkCityHotSauce.com. Don't forget to put in the coupon code and get a 15% discount, OTC. I know there's no good segue going from donating your kidney <laughs> to selling hot sauce, but I, I, just, I just had to do it. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Um, you know, I, you so, know there's always this vision when you're thinking about somebody who's donating an organ and you know, there's this vision in your head where the two people are right, lying right next to each other. You know, they fall out. They go under holding each other's hands yeah. they go from one body to the next. Um, the way that you did it and the way they're doing it now, obviously, it's better. But it is nerve wracking in a way because it's got to you're transporting it from here to here. You know, at some point I could see it like, you know, um, what is that? Uh, the, the ones that do Amazon. I could do it like in one of those those bags, <laughs> like just an Amazon driver dropping it off, you know. But you know, I, I it's funny you say that because one of the words that we don't like in the organization I belong to, the National Kitty Donation Organization, is the M M word match. So when someone's looking for a kidney, we we never want them to to go out and put on their shirt like I'm looking for a, a type A or I'm looking for a type O because it's an old way of thinking because it narrows the pool of people that you could uh, tap into to be a potential donor. So now what we want, let's, so I'm gonna use Mark as a great example. So the guy, Mark Weiner, um, you know, was looking for a match the first time and he had 1500 people click on his website, uh, you know, to donate a kidney and he ended up getting zero out of it. He got nothing, you know? So now fast forward two years later, you know, uh, people ask me and some people, you know, cops are very uh, cynical and, uh, <laughs> you know, so you ask the people in my office if anyone's seen this, they're like rolling their eyes like, oh, my God, this guy's talking about kidney donation again. Like, you know, how many, you know, how many more times is he going to talk about it? And I tell them I'm going to keep talking about it for as long as I can, because when you create awareness, you end up helping people. So that's why I continue to do it. So Mark uh, still needs a kidney still needs a kidney today. So I was thinking like, how can I create awareness? Uh, so my two year anniversary came up of my kidney donation. And I said, why don't we relaunch uh, the campaign? So with the help of the National Kidney Donation Organization and uh, the National Kidney Registry, we went back in Times Square 
and we got the the billboard donated mark got the billboard donated to him again so the numbers were less right the numbers were 149 people came forward it was during covid it was uh, december it was freezing we were out there um but the difference was we weren't looking for a match we were looking for someone anyone who's willing to donate on mark's behalf and we've had found 149 amazing people who came forward of that we had about 26 people who went forward to the next step with the urine collection and the blood test then we have 12 people who went forward to do their all day testing at some transplant center around the um around the uh united states and what did we find on mark's birthday someone came forward went through the whole process and and uh i, I don't want to give a name out but she'll she'll hopefully in the near future very close future be donating a kidney on his behalf and handed mark a voucher for a kidney so this amazing woman who has doesn't know mark just saw this billboard again in times square came forward and mark's got a voucher that's a, the, what ends up happening she named mark on this voucher so the second she donates mark could activate that voucher and according from the information i know with with, with his blood type within a month tops two months he gets a kidney there's a guy that's on dialysis three times a you know three times uh four times a a week for a long time you know? so it works i got you all the way up into the point where you said the voucher so now yeah. Because somebody <laughs> donated on his behalf, mm -hmm. that means that he gets a voucher, and that means that he get what does he do? He gets to the front of the line now. Is that what? Yes. Yeah, so that voucher. Remember, I told you everyone needs a partner to get into the National Kidney Registry. So this woman is actually acting as um, uh, um, uh, Mark's partner. So she's going to donate her kidney in the very near future, within probably the next month or so and uh she named mark as the voucher holder so mark has this voucher now let's just say mark's uh, medical condition will preclude him from getting a kidney for six months or a year or two years whatever the reason is uh he can activate that, that voucher is good for life and you're right the second he's available he hands that voucher into wild cornell and he goes into the system and it starts searching for a kidney immediately and it's wow. like you know three three thousand maybe four thousand people in the database Mike, what's the um, the tax deduction the year of the kidney donation? So uh, <laughs> that there is that was a joke. <laughs> there is New York State actually offers uh, uh, if you're if you have out of pocket expenses, New York State actually offers you a uh, a tax credit. That's that's not that's not even a joke, Bill. Look, well, you look at it. I meant it as a as a joke, but no, I, it's like, that's good it, that they do that. You know, yeah, because you know, if you're having a bad tax year, maybe you consider you know donating your kidney. <laughs> listen, if you're on the job, if you're still on the job, active on the job right now, um, you mentioned that you can take your, you can schedule when your kidney will be, when you'll have your. So if you're still on the job, you have control of when you can schedule it. If you really want to get um, the West Indian Day Parade off, yeah. You can Donate so I, to me, and you can put. That's the day you're going to do it. <laughs> well, I worked. At, I worked in Intel, so uh, you don't, you want to take off the UN General Assembly, UNGA, right? Everybody wants to take that month off. You know, <laughs> Manhattan's a mess. Um, but you know, so Tommy Alexander, remember I talked about him in uh, the beginning, right? The police officer that I originally tried to help. Uh, through this process, I met uh, an amazing sergeant who's retired, Colleen Walsh. And she donated her kidney to her sister's best friend, and we just became, you know, friendly. She ended up knowing Tommy uh, very, very well, 
And her and I ended up getting Tommy uh, moved over to NYU Langone, which is where he uh, uh, is a patient now. And, you know, when people say, oh, why do you keep doing this? You know, the NYPD, first, I just want to say the NYPD is amazing. They were my lieutenant's the one that said, oh, you know, you should call DCPI and and let them know it's a good feel good story. You know, uh, you could use it to create awareness. And the NYPD, you know, we we can use it for, uh, you know, to show that we have good cops out there. Right. Cops are regular people just like everybody else, you know, uh, doing great things. <clears throat> so I have to thank the NYPD because they allowed me to you know, to do, you know, some news things and, and uh, newspaper articles and, and stuff like that. But anyway, they put together a video, uh, myself and Colleen uh, put together a video, just letting people know that Tommy still needed a kidney. Right. And I get a phone call and they tell me that um, they found a donor, someone who's willing to donate for Tommy. So uh, there's going to be something happening in the future, but Tommy today has a kidney because a active sergeant on this job who's still working today saw that video. This, that was remember I told you a couple of years back someone else got turned away because he was at a really bad center. It was that sergeant, and he told me he goes, you know what, Mike? I saw you and Colleen on that video saying that Tommy still needed needed a kidney a year or so later. He goes, I didn't know. He goes, I thought he got one, and he went through and he went forward and he gave Tommy the voucher. And Tommy got a voucher, got that voucher activated, and now Tommy is still also on the job with his brand new kidney. So this stuff works. So you know what you guys are doing with you know Mark and and Bill, I, you know I can't thank you enough. I, I you know I truly believe that you know someone's going to see this video and say if that guy could do it, you know like I could do it. That's but that's, you know you something, know, that's like Mark and I are <laughs> definitely not as good a guy as you are. <laughs> we have some yeah, mean. <laughs> I don't know about that. You seem like you're all right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like, yeah, right? I, mean, no, I think what you did is like saintly. It's lone priestly. Yeah, I, do, I, really do. Really yeah. is, you know? I don't know much about kidneys. I don't even know what they do, but I could I, I'm gonna tell you something right now. I'm almost betting mine are all beat up. It's not the liver. Everyone thinks it's not the liver. You know, you could uh, you could still drink. One, the, one of the questions was, uh, you know, can you still drink? I'm like, that's the liver. The liver funnels the alcohol. Uh -huh. it, the only thing I really can't do, they said, you know, they don't want you to do if you if you were a kickboxer, which I wasn't. Uh, don't do kickboxing. If you played football or rugby, which I didn't, uh, don't do that. Um, and they prefer you about getting hit. Yeah, they, they, yeah, you want to, you know, not not you should, you know, I don't walk around with a pillow on my right side to make sure that my my right kidney is 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 good all the time. But you know, you don't, you wouldn't want to put yourself in in an environment like MMA or something where you know you could get a kick or a punch, you know, to that side. But yeah. you know, you could do, you know, this if you know, there's a kidney donor athletes is a uh, a great Facebook page, and it's people who've donated a kidney that run marathons. Ironman competitions uh, because they want to show that you could just do everything you did before. You know, you're not uh, you're not hindered by anything. Man, that's Steve Cologne. Thank you so much for that 9.99 <laughs> super chat. And uh, yeah, this, uh, Detective Lalo is uh, a, a great man. I mean, not only I a great it. cop, but I mean, think of the selflessness to donate your kidney to, to someone you don't even know. It's it's just unbelievable. You know. What? So, so the think about this is, you know, and then the other thing is, I think, and we could see and turn on the TV, uh, and there's terrible things on there every day, and 
I really believe kindness is contagious, right? Even if you're around, you know, like the three of us are chatting, everybody's having a good time, everybody's laughing. It's it's contagious, you know. And I I believe the same thing with um with with kidney donation and and advocacy, and you you gotta put the word out there. So. I got the number today. So there's 98,236 people in the United States today that need a kidney. All right. So if you Google it, uh, people, how many adults are there of the age 18 or older? There's about 206 million in the United States. If you go, well, that's kind of young, you know, maybe it should be like 21. There's 196 million adults, 21 or over. So if less than half of 1% of the population came forward to be tested, we would eradicate the need for a kidney. Think about it, there's only 98,000 people that need a kidney right now. You know, so I'm passionate about it because it's something that you could actually eliminate, you know, and, and I really just think it, cause it, you know, like I know Bill is shocked, like, you know, you know, giving away an organ and it does sound a little strange, but if you really do the research, you know, my, my wife um, had two C-sections. She had a higher chance of dying. If you talk about the worst thing that could happen, of course, right? She had a higher chance of dying than I did donating my kidney. So no, Mike, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I, I think what you did is unbelievable. I'm trying to get I the kidney out of you, Bill. I couldn't do it myself. I'll give other things. I just don't <laughs> give body parts. No, I'll tell you right now, man. I'm willing to give up Bill's Bill's kidney as well. <laughs> three years old, man. How much time has he got left? Yeah. We'll take it out. We'll dust it off. Oh, <laughs> snow marks hard overseas. <laughs> I'm all in, man. Bill, you don't need it, man. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I tell you, man, you really uh, – I'm always searching for stuff to do, man. And you, you, you got me on the edge here. But I'm you're like, I'll be honest with you. That's why you're a much braver man than me. I'm, You know, I'm scared. Like, I don't even know – I have to do some research on it. You, but, you uh, should. You, you know, it was. It, it was. I never had a surgery before. I had nothing. I, I was had never. Not so. I didn't. You know, I went from having no surgeries to you know having a, an organ uh, organ removed. But um, it's uh, you know, people who are on YouTube. If you want to know about, uh, uh, there's a great TED talk that that guy Ned Brooks I mentioned, and it, uh, just Google Ned N E D Brooks, and it's um, wh uh, why would. Uh, I think the title is um, why would someone give a, a kidney to a perfect stranger something along those lines. And it really covers everything on, um, you know, why his thought process, uh, all the crazy, you know, people who the reactions, of course, you know, cause um, not everybody was pro um, my donation. You know, my wife was, how did you yeah. feel afterwards? The only, so day number two, so if you've had surgeries before, anyone that had any kind of surgery, it's a, uh, you know, gallbladder taken out and stuff. They open you up and then they fill your cavity with gas. Yeah, and yeah, then they, yeah, they yeah. take the kidney out, they sew you up. But the problem is the gas yeah. has, to, has to escape. Very painful. So the gas rose to my shoulders. And on day two, it was debilitating. My lieutenant came in to see me and, the, and there's a picture of me just being like hunched over you know, in the chair, I, I, you know, I couldn't even move. But aside from that one day, you know, every day just got better and better. You just got to walk, you know, like uh, people say, I, when I speak to donors, like, well, what can I do? You know, walk, 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 walk. Because the more you mo the more you walk, the more it expels the gas from your body. But, you know, the job gave me, uh, you know, we have unlimited sick, right? And was, and, uh, I had six weeks I took off. Six? I, yeah. I got two weeks off every surgery. Come on. Surgeries, yeah. I gave an organ. I was back to work and said, I know, man. I tore this bicep. They had to do two surgeries. This tricep, my knee, 
I blew out a hamstring. Oh Who's my god! Surgery, man. He gypped you. <laughs> they, well, you're not allowed. I want to go back. Me, I used to go in like if it was my arm, I'd go in on crutches, like plus my knee too. Every I was a whole thing. I let the beard grow out. There, there were two two funny things with the medic with the um uh the sick desk or the you know the medical division. So I I ended up speaking to uh, someone from the medical division and I said, well, what? How do I? I don't even know how to call out sick. I I I, I think um, don't quote me if someone tries to look up my sick record, but I think out of the 21 years I went sick three or four times, and one of them was the the kidney donation. So I really didn't go sick often. I didn't know how really how to do it. And they're like, no, you just call up. So I, I from the hospital, I, I'm in my gown. I call up. I'm like, how you doing? This is a Detective Lalo. Uh, I'm going to you know, be checked into the hospital. And the guy goes, uh-huh, for what? I said, um, well, I'm going to have surgery. I said, I'm donating my kidney. And the guy goes, very funny. Why are you going sick? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no. I, I said, I'm really, I'm at Cornell. I said, here's my, my hospital number. And the guy goes, oh, hold on, please. And he puts me on hold. I think they got like the big book and they like, you know, look for like, what do I say? So. Get the um, patrol guy. Get the patrol get the guy. patrol guy section. <laughs> donations. So my, I didn't have a district surgeon because my guy left. So I went to go see a different guy. And finally, when I was able to uh, drive, you know, uh, the uh, someone was able to bring me after two weeks. You're not allowed to drive for two weeks. I, uh, I had a letter from my doctor and it said, you know, can't, uh, recommend to be out for six weeks, you know, can't lift more than 20 pounds for six weeks. So I go there and uh, the surgeon was like, well, you know, I'm not kidding. He was like, you know, I could put you back to work like duty right now, but you kind of did a good thing. So I'm going to be, I'm going to go by what your doctor said and I'll keep you out to six weeks. I was like, Oh, thanks a lot. You know, Oh, I had it down to a science. I'd go after my surgery and I knew that when I went back for my first time, he was going to tell me to come back in three weeks. Oh man. I knew it was six weeks. At that point you're at six weeks. <clears throat> Now, when you come back for your last time, you know that the next time he puts you, he's going to look at the calendar and goes, all right, I'm going to put you back to uh, unless something happens. And then it was like three weeks later. So it's nine weeks. Wow. And that's wow. what you know. That's what they give you. That's what's uh, allotted for that time. I, I don't know who this guy was, man, but yeah, what a, oh, my God. It's crazy, right? Anyway, you wouldn't have took it anyway. You were the type of guy that, like, <laughs> I'm telling you, I used to go in there with, with crutches, stuff wrapped around my head. Like, I had, a, like, meanwhile, it was my bicep that I hurt. Why are you all crutches in this, wearing bandages around, around your head? <laughs> yeah, the medical division. No thank you so much for the $5 super chat. 12 step woman, thank you so much for the $5 super chat. And I don't know if you, Mark has been promoting this, but this Sunday, yeah, New York Comedy Club in East Village, April 25th, two shows. Mark is recording an album. You know, Mark is a stand-up comic of some note. He's actually a pretty damn good stand-up comic. And he's recording uh, the show at 7 and at 9.30 p.m. And he's got tickets are available. He'll tell you how to get the ticket discount. And he's got great hair, Bill. Yeah, look at that. Put in how was that an old picture? You don't have hair like that anymore. <laughs> that, was, that was a couple years ago. I still he's have a mane. He's got a lion's mane in that. You know? I still have a. Sh I still have that shirt. Uh, so it's not that long ago. Hey, um, if you want to get tickets, please visit NewYorkComedyClub.com. We have a bunch of people coming out already. There's a, still a couple of tickets left. Um, please, if if you want to have a good time, I'm telling you, now's the time. We're coming out of this thing. We're coming out strong, and I'm recording this album. It's it's, it's called the Bangers, and it's gonna be banging. I'm telling you, I'm bringing the pain. 
It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be the number one best-selling album. I'm, I'm guaranteeing it. I'm guaranteeing it. You should come. It's going to be great. You're going to be part of history right now. 7 o'clock, 9.30 p.m., Sunday, April 25th. Get on board. Come out. I guarantee you I'm going to deliver. Mark, where is uh, New York Comedy Club East Village? What's the address? It's there? on 4th Street. It's the old Eastville Comedy Club, but it's on 4th Street between 2nd and 3rd. It's They did a wonderful job uh, making it up. There's social distancing. Uh, that's why the seating is limited. Uh, but I'm telling you, I, I'd love to have you, and uh, I'm going to bring it. MC Audio, Mike Cologne, you come, man. I got you. I got you, buddy. Scotty Wagner, where's your ticket? Huh? Everybody's looking for a free ticket. Well, yeah, they're all cops. But. <laughs> yeah, cops. Cops are always looking for the uh, comedy show OTA. Hey guys, how about a little support for Mark? Well, well this album's going to be—you know—you're going to be able to find it on Sirius when you're driving in your car. Uh, if you have Spotify, if you have that, whatever you listen to in your vehicle when you're driving, the Comedy Channel. This is what it's for. They're going to break it up into jokes. The more play that it gets, um, obviously, the more money that I'll, I'll see. So it's just another stream of uh, revenue stream. But I'm doing all the classic jokes, get them out of the way, and then we're going to move on from there. But it's all going to be volume one. That's awesome. Excellent. Yeah. If you guys aren't a Patreon member, that's our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash police off the cuff. We have three tiers. The first one is the bucket. You don't want to be the bucket. That's $7 a month. For $9 a month, you can polish my rack. There's actually a picture of my rack. And for $11 a month, the premier tier, you get to dip them in butter. <laughs> Whatever you want to dip in butter, you get to do that for 11 a month. And actually, our Patreon, you get content that no one else gets. You get to even email us, talk to us, whatever you want to do. In fact, it was, there's something in the works. We we're supposed to try to do a meet and greet at um, – uh, I won't say the place yet because it hasn't been confirmed, but it's at a, um, a bar in Midtown in the theater district owned by a retired captain. And he wants us to do a meet and greet on a, a Tuesday night. And once I, it's confirmed, I'm going to announce it. We'll be there. We'll be shaking hands, kissing babies, all kinds of stuff. We'll, we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll be signing autographs for anyone that's foolish enough to want one. And uh, basically, we'll just have a good time. We'll be at uh, this place. And we'll announce it with plenty of time for you guys to come. Hey, I see Paul Zito's on here. And he was a guest while you were away. He missed a fantastic episode. He told um, a harrowing story about being in uh, Hurricane Katrina, trapped on uh, Staten Island with uh, with his family in his house right by the water and his canine dog and what he had to go through. So uh, to get his family out, to get the canine dog out, it was it just, it, it's hard to believe, like, you know, within like a couple of minutes, your whole life could change. Like that storm hit, nobody knew how bad it was going to be. And here you are trapped in his house. The way he tells the story is great. So if you want to check out a great episode, if you haven't heard that one yet, check out the Paul Zito episode. That's awesome. You know, there's a million stories in this naked city, as they used to say, you know. And uh, we just have 230 of them. We have like 230 episodes or at least recordings on on our uh, Patreon, on our um, Anchor. You, know, you can listen to us in your car, www.anchor. Uh, www.anchor slash OTC slash police off the cuff and you can listen to us on the radio and you, you can drive for, to Florida you can listen to our whole portfolio if you want but uh, you know I tell you what man um, you actually made a believer out of me 
and I'm actually like, if I if I if I could do this, uh, I think I might actually do it. I, I think I might actually get involved because, like I said, I don't know whether they want it, whether it's any good <laughs> things I'm going to give out because they've, they've been through the wood, they've been through the mill. But I'm telling you, God's honest truth. I'm always trying to uh, to do good, to get better every single day, uh, to be a better person and to help. And this this to me is like one. It's just remarkable. Like um, I think this could be something I'd be ha very happy with myself that I did. And if you're out there and you want to do something good, uh, you know, for just mankind, this is what we're here for. It's it's really basically to help each other, to uh, to love each other, you know, and and all, everything that's going on right now with with the with dividing and 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 um, this is a just such a beautiful story, man, of of life and and appreciating life and giving life to somebody. I appreciate it. You know, my my one of the things. Um my lieutenant at the time, uh, I never had any doubts because I was very comfortable with the decision and I was um, very well informed. I spoke to you know plenty of donors beforehand, but there was only one moment where, and I don't want to say it's, it was a doubt, but it was a, a question that I just didn't think of. And my lieutenant said to me, you know, who's the first person I told on their job? And he goes, you know, you have three kids, you know, don't you want to save your body parts, you know, for, for your kids in case one of them needs it? You know, I, I didn't think of it at the time. And I was like, wow, maybe, I don't know, maybe I do. So I came home to my wife and I said, you know, this is what my, my lieutenant said. And instantaneously, she, she was sitting on the couch. She just looked right at me and she said, you know what, Michael? She goes, I would hope if God forbid something like that happened to our kids, someone would step forward like you're stepping forward for this person. And then it just like put that to bed. And, uh, you know, I, 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 although she doesn't like when I say it, I do credit her because she's a really giving person. I think I was always nice. You know, uh, anyone that knows me, uh, I was always a nice guy. I don't know if I was always the kidney donation type of nice, but I think, you know, like I said, you surround yourself with good people. You surround yourself with positive people. You look mean there, Mike. <laughs> I look mean. Yeah, you, yeah. Know, you look like you look like the cop yeah. who uh, shot up up the stairs in The Godfather. Do, do, do you know who? Do you know who's cut? Do you know who's cut out of the picture? Is the mayor and his wife are on either side of me? Oh, really? De Blasio. Yeah. De Blasio and his wife. Oh, yeah. Oh God! I was that was at that was at the state of the city. He uh, he uh, he asked me to come there. He wanted to get some mileage out of you, right? Uh, well, I, <laughs> where are you in the catacombs in Italy? In that picture, where are you? That's a, that's the trains, like the the right across from one police plaza. Oh, is that where the, the train station is. Yeah, yeah. Good picture. <laughs> <laughs> so where, what? Once again, let's just recut. If there's anybody out there who's been motivated by this, absolutely, like yourself, and wants to look into it, where sure. can we go? I would go to the national nkdo.org, National Kidney Donation Organization, nkdo.org, or like you're putting up right now, the National Kidney Registry. Just Google National Kidney Registry. I think it's a uh, kidney. I think it's kidneyregistry.org. Com, I believe is a website, but uh, just Google National Kidney Registry. Uh, I'm on, you know, Facebook. If I, I people message me, uh, I'll be more than happy to help them along the way. Uh, you know, you put something up there. One of the benefits about donating um, at a hospital, one of the hundreds or so hospitals that's affiliated with the National Kidney Registry, is wage reimbursement. So one of the biggest complaints or concerns, I should say, is not a complaint. Uh, like I can't donate my kidney because I'm going to be out of work for a month. And and you know, unlike uh, NYPD where we have unlimited sick, you know, that's obviously a major concern for people. So if you donate through one of the hospitals that's with the with the NKR, they uh, 
give you, I think it's 1500 up to $1,500. It says 2000 I'm not sure how old the slide is, but I think it's up to $1,500, $2,000 a week in lost wages uh, for four weeks. You know, so that's one thing that you don't have to worry about. They have um, a life insurance policy. It's just, and all this, uh, one of the things I want to mention too is there is no co-pays. There's no cost to the donor. All the, the, the cost is on the recipient's insurance company. So I never had to pay a copay. I never had to pay anything out of my pocket. Uh, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work that way. So some people are like, oh, how much is this going to cost me? Or I'm going to get a bill. You know, you're not going to get a bill. It's uh, the insurance of the recipient covers everything. Hey, uh, you know, this time, what happens to you, God forbid, that you need a kidney? That's a great question. So the other thing about donating your kidney, are you ready, Mark? Yeah, I'm ready. You, I'm you just got you just got this yourself the, the one thing that I thought about. Like the only thing that was holding. What happens to me if I donate my kidney? You have just gotten yourself kidney insurance. And if I was to need a kidney because I donated uh, at one of the hospitals that's affiliated with the National Kidney Registry, like you're showing, I basically I get a kidney. It's as if someone like donated a, a voucher on my in on behalf of myself, you know, on behalf of me. So it, there's no worries. And here's the here's the reality: you go through such stringent medical testing. You know, number one, we we can't afford it, and there's no doctor that would. Um, uh, you guys still there? Up on, on your own, talking. Yeah. So if I, if we just probably just pulled us off the screen. I gave you the screen to yourself, and then you. you... Oh, I'm sorry, but I thought I thought I thought. I thought this was going to be a Sopranos moment. Just no, no, I'm back. Hey, there was a guy coming up behind you who was going to put two in the back of your head. <laughs> uh, so you get, the, you get the best insurance that there could be, which is uh, you, go to the, you go to the top of the list. So it's as if someone donated. Uh, another thing now, if you it didn't, this wasn't available when I donated. But if you're a non-directed donor, um, you get uh, what you could be part of the uh, family voucher program. So if you have family members, you can name up to five family members and they get a voucher. So you're going to donate to some stranger and you cover your, if I was me here, I would cover wait, my wait, three kids, back. my wife. Go yeah. back a little bit. So you, you tell us, explain that one more time. Sure. Okay. So how, if you donate the same way that I did, you donate to a complete stranger. This wasn't available in 2018 when I donated, but it is available now through the National Kitty Registry. It's called the Family Voucher Program. Uh -huh. so, if I, if, so fast forward, if I wanted to do this today and I did it through the National Kidney Registry, uh, I would enter into the Family Voucher Program. Basically what that means is I'm gonna donate my kidney to a stranger. I'm getting the best insurance for myself because if I ever need a kidney, I'm gonna get one, right? Because I donated, but I'm able to give five people a voucher today or when I donate for a kidney, should they ever need one? Because another fear, like my lieutenant mentioned, is my kids and my wife, you know, my mother, my brother, my sister, you know, uh, whatever the case is. So you name those people in advance. And if any one of those people needs a kidney, they just pull out the voucher. Now, the voucher yeah. can only go ahead. Since you did this already, since you donated a kidney, how much money would you charge somebody to get those five vouchers? Like, am I asking for 10 grand, 20 nah, grand? You know, <laughs> what am I know, asking for here? Nah, nah, nah. You know, I, I'm kidding. My you, family members I'm talking about. Uh, oh, your family. <laughs> my family members are going to be fighting over my kidney. God forbid they need no. How much am I, am I charging them? It's illegal. Shh. You can't. You can't. You can't I'm sell a voucher. Yeah, I shouldn't have that. I didn't know. <laughs> no, no. Actually, yeah, but it is illegal to sell your kidney in uh, in the United States. There are. I think there's 
I don't know if it's Iran. There is like a country out there that uh, you can actually people sell organs, but not here in the U.S. The irony is, you could have been traveling through Mexico. You get a couple in you, when <laughs> you wake up the next day, and your kidney's done, and you don't get any of these benefits at all. Yeah, well, for me that'd be a problem because now I have no kidneys. <laughs> yeah, obviously they would have probably looked in and like, oh, he already gave this out. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so fascinating, man. I'm, uh, you know what? Uh wish I didn't have you on right now because now I'm like I got to do this. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be sending you a message tomorrow to find out if you looked into it. I am definitely gonna look into it, man. I mean, there's so many pluses to it. You know what I'm saying? And the like, so you don't feel any wear for the tail. Like you're you feel no. the same. If someone, one of the donors that I spoke to, it was it was kind of funny at the time, but I now I I really understand, appreciate it. He said if he bumped his head and lost his memory, he would have no, he wouldn't have any idea that he donated. Again, you know, like the scar is just so small. I, I don't even have like a scar to show that I did it. So it, I don't it, care it, about the scar. I mean, I'm just you know I want to feel no, kind of the, the same way that I felt before I had the surgery. I feel exactly the same. There's no you know no, the no scar is a plus like. Actually, I'm going to ask for it. I was like, you know what? Can you give me a big scar? Because I want to tell this to chicks. Yeah, what's that scar? Yeah, I donated a kidney to a complete stranger. Might be incentive to get some abs so you can take off the oh shirt. My right? God. Who's not going to give out? Who's not going to put out for that after I show him the kidney scar? <laughs> All right, well, Mark, we're at eight. We're at an hour and twelve minutes. I think we got to start wrapping wrapping it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike, we want to thank you. You were an amazing guest and the most selfless act I've ever heard any cop do that I've met. And it's a, you are a real hero to to do what you did. And, well, yeah, uh, I appreciate that, Bill. And I, I, I don't want to take all of the uh, the credit, if you will. There are people who are still working today, like that sergeant that donated on Tommy's behalf. Uh, Colleen Walsh, a retired sergeant that donated. So it's not, I'm not the only one. I'm probably the only one that talks about it, but I'm not the only one that did it. There's uh, two civilians. There's a guy, you should look this guy up, Stefan Trotman. He's a civilian with the NYPD. He lost 200 pounds so he could give his kidney to a stranger. Wow. Let me ask uh, one more question about the five people that get it. Go ahead. Say you give it out to your family, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden you want to, you know, like you want to switch. Nothing. Someone's <laughs> getting on your nerves. They don't need it anymore. This person's doing the, you know. Mark, it's not like the will. You change it every time someone pisses you, you off. It. No, 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 no. That person pissed me off. Take him off the will. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Now you're not getting my kidney. <laughs> you get to cut out of the kidney voucher system. <laughs> so who wants my kidney? <laughs> You know, Mark, I, I just want to mention, um, again, we've seen this year in the last uh, two weeks, three weeks, uh, suicide rear its ugly head on the NYPD with the um, suicide of that deputy inspector in Queens. I don't have his name uh, on the tip of my tongue right now. But because of that, I invited Dr. Stephen Washkel, who is a um, suicide prevention expert. And actually, uh, Mark, it turned out you know this woman, I believe. Well, her name is Marianne, Marianne McGinnis. Her husband committed suicide and left her. He was an NYPD sergeant and left her to raise uh, three children. Yeah, She's going to speak about, on the show I also. I Pete several times on our show. Whenever we had it, and I always bring him up. He was a, he was a great guy. And um, it just so happens that you know, she's going to come in. This is going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting episode. 
my my uh, my OCI, who ended up turning out to be a, a, a great friend, Sergeant Mike Lanza, uh, committed suicide while I was uh, on the job. It's uh, horrible. horrible. I, you know, I'm sure like uh, like you know most people who are watching this or know someone that did it. I mean, he he literally was the last person that you would have ever thought. If you've been on the job long enough, you will know someone that committed suicide. It's horrible. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you're out there and you know me, and uh, you know I'm, I'm probably going to go through with this now because I, I, I don't know. I just it's something that's in me now. It's a bug in me. And you want to get on the list? I got five people. <laughs> <laughs> You ain't giving shit. Give one to Bill. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just give me a voucher, and you know. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Listen, the vouchers are available. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Now it's up to you. That's awesome. Now it's up to you. You want to go ahead? Show me. Show me how much you mean to me. (laughs) But uh, you are amazing, man. And I tell you the truth, I'm not even kidding, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna call you up tomorrow or figure out a way to get in touch with you. Um, and I'm going to look up this National Kidney Registry and see what I can do to get involved. It seems like the right thing to do. Um, you're a hero. Uh, thank you for for bringing this, for telling this story, because it really just changed my mind. Like, I didn't know. I knew about it, but I didn't really know what it entailed. And you you broke it down so so nicely. I mean, why wouldn't anybody want to get involved in this? Why wouldn't that- you? That's what, you know, people who've donated, we walk around going, you know, why does Bill have two kidneys? Why does Mark have two kidneys? Like, we don't understand why people are walking around with two kidneys because uh, it's, it, you know, it just, once it clicks, you're going to be, you're going to be like, wow, why, you know, why, why wouldn't I do it? You know, and, it, and it's not, for, obviously it's not for everybody. And, uh, you know, but, you know, if I, if you could do it, if you're over the age of 18, uh, there's really no age, age ceiling, um, you know. I would consider helping one of those 98,236 people that uh, you're in desperate need. Like, it, but it, this is dependent on your age. Like, Bill's 63. So, like, his kidney, he's got That's a good. Like, a no. 90-year-old guy or something? We could take it. We could take Bill's kidney. 63 is good. Can you give it to, like, a 90-year-old guy or something? <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm getting up a lot during the night to urinate now. Imagine <laughs> I only had one kidney. Forget about it. <laughs> you're a superhero, man. You're a modern-day superhero. I mean, uh, uh, thank you. for coming on the show, for spreading the word. Uh, man, I'm scared about tomorrow because I said I, I put my foot in my mouth for <laughs> me, but I'm gonna have to follow through, man. That's the way I am. Well, I, I thank you guys for for inviting me on and helping you know create awareness. And it looks like I might have one person that uh, might be considering with my friend uh, Mr. DeMeo there. But uh, you know, it's just worth you it. know, a lot of people are gonna see this, and hopefully, they like they said, they can see like this guy from Queens could do it. I could do it too. Yeah, man. It's a beautiful thing you did, man. God bless you. God bless your family. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, encouraging you to do it. You know. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, I already know my ex-wife is on board. She's on board. Who's your update your will? She's on board. To all you police off the cuff fans, everyone that watched tonight, and for Michael Lalo and for Mark DeMeo and Bill Cannon of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. Thank you guys so much for listening and for being fans of this show. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thanks, Michael. Thank you.